He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I'll once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. What is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We'll start this time with James. Excited to be here. This is an actor that I have been mocking for like most of our episodes, but he is very well accomplished. So I can't wait to talk a little bit more about Spacey. Aubrey. It's summer. I'm a teacher. I got nothing going on. I feel great. Nice. <laughs> What's Aubrey doing? Still nothing. Still nothing. Still. That's right. Every summer is the summer of Aubrey. <laughs> Rigby. Yeah, life's good. Waiting uh, to see how some, some of these summer box office movies do, or these summer movies do at the box office. Uh, we're, we're recording right after the release of Indiana Jones. And I was kind of shocked to see that it uh, didn't do very well in its, in its openings, but we still got a lot of, a lot of summer movies left. I can't wait for Oppenheimer. And surprisingly, I can't wait to actually see Barbie. Dude, I can't wait to see Barbie either. Greta Gerwig is, is brilliant. And, and so is Noah Baumbach and, and that cast together will be great. So I wasn't shocked about Indiana Jones because the last Indiana Jones was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Hey, syrup. I'm in the middle of summer, middle of my busy time of the year, and I'm almost at the middle point of two different hip surgeries. So I'm looking forward to the next two months of the same shit. I'm in Groundhog Day. That's what it feels like. That's what I feel like right now. Brutal, man. It's all going to be worth it, right? Hope so. You hope? (laughs) Surgery purgatory. Nah, life is good. I am not excited about this episode, but I'm here contractually, so (laughs) you're welcome. That's why we pay you the big bucks. Contraction. That's right. Well, we're excited to have Laura Adams back as our featured guest. She is a below-the-line assistant for a talent agency in Manhattan. We had to push back her appearance because she was at the Tribeca Film Festival doing all the cool film stuff. But we got the schedule figured out, and she was here previously for our Chloe Grace Moretz and Susan Sarandon episodes. Welcome back, Laura. How is life? Hi, everyone. I'm happy to be back. It's good to see everyone again. Thanks for having me. Life is going pretty well. Busy, but fun, and uh, everything is going well. Thank you. I can't wait to hear about Tribeca Film Festival. That's sweet. It was my first time attending a film festival, and it really was uh, definitely an experience. It was a lot of fun. One of the uh, clients um, that we represent had a film premiere there and he was unable to make it because he was filming in Malta at the time of the premiere. So he very graciously gave me his ticket to the premiere. Oh man. It was quite, quite an experience. Yeah. Your first film festival was Tribeca. Yes. That's like my first vacation is the moon. That's incredible. (laughs) Like, that sucks for the rest of the film festivals you go to. <laughs> I don't know. I hear Sundance is pretty up there. I'm not sure. <laughs> Sundance is pretty cool. Sundance, though. So. All right. Well, we're glad to have you back. Excited to dig in and talk a little Kevin Spacey. But before we do that, we always start with some birthdays. For July 13th, Rigby, what you got to stump us with? All right. First up, we got Mr. Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones himself. And if the reviews for the latest one are any indication, he's very old. So there's your hint. 
He's been old for a while now. He's been old for a while. I will give you that. They've been talking about his age online a ton lately, so I almost feel like I can't guess because I think I know what it is. Is he in his 80s? Got to guess. Only one way to find out. I'll go 81. 81 for James? A young 81. I also think he's 81. I also think he's 81. <laughs> what the f- Let's yeah, just, Kyle, why don't you just cheat off my test? <laughs> I think he's 81. Wow. <laughs> What the fuck? Just say late 70s. I don't fucking know. Like, yeah. Laura, say 82 and cuck all of us. <laughs> 82. Oh, Laura, you should have gone 81 because he's turning 81. <laughs> yes, I finally got one right. So, Thank you, right, James. Well, mine was a genuine guess. That was impressive. Yeah. Everyone just hopped on. James is back there. That was nice. I so many classes like that. <laughs> Next up, we got Sir Patrick Stewart. Also really old. Ooh. Of Star Trek <laughs> fame. And also, yeah. X-Men. Okay. Seemingly looks has looked the same since like the 90s. Am as I long as I've known him, he's been the same age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say he's a few years older than Harry Ford. I'm going to say 84. I'm going to go younger, 79. Yeah, I think younger as well. I'm going to go 76. Mm. I'm going to go 80 because I have no idea. Mm. I'm going to say 78. Good grief. <laughs> Even though Kyle was closer, Aubrey wins by Price is Right rules. He's turning 83. I knew it all along. I was shocked to hear that. I thought I thought he was younger than that. He looks damn good. Yeah. He does. And he's got that, that accent, man. I would kill to have that accent. Last but not least, uh, Ken Jeong from The Hangover. Tons of Judd Apatow movies. Crazy Rich Asians. His cameo on Crazy Rich Asians was very funny. <laughs> yes. Mm. 45. I was shocked to learn that he was from Detroit. Sick guess. 42. 48. I think Dr. Ken is older than people realize. I'm going to give him a 5-0. Ooh. All right, Craig, you win. You're the only person to guess in the 50s, I believe. Yep. Yeah. And he's 54. There you go. Oh, nice damn. job. All right, Ken. Yeah. All right. Well, happy birthday to Harrison Ford, Patrick Stewart, and Ken Jeong. We're at episode 86. We had five actors that we threw onto the wheel. That included John Cusack, Russell Crowe, Lindsay Duncan, and Julianne Nicholson. But it doesn't matter because the wheel selected Kevin Spacey. Spacey's got 86 film and TV credits. He's got 18 producing credits. He has a series of high-profile blunders, and he's got a pretty rich history on the stage. So he's a very fascinating person, for good or for bad, for us to talk about. In 86 episode, the closest thing we've covered to somebody with significant controversy was William Hurt. Be very interested to see what happens. But before we get into the details, we'll start with James and see if he could stump us trivia Fast and Furious style. Kevin Spacey is a fascinating person, so there was a bunch of trivia to choose from, so these are pretty good. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to read three facts off. Two of them are going to be true about Kevin Spacey. One of them is not going to be true about him, but is going to be true about one of the many cast members of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Everyone here has to guess which one is not true about Spacey. Fact number one, once agreed to gain 50 pounds for a role but eventually herniated a disc in his back, which threatened to continue production. Fact number two, he's only one of seven actors who have ever been nominated for an Oscar more than once and won every time they've been nominated. Hmm. Fact number three, was sent to military school after burning down his sister's treehouse, but was expelled from military school after beating up a classmate with a tire. Good grief. Man, I hope number three is true, because that is like, <laughs> that's how you start your villain era early. It's true about somebody, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> I'm usually spot on with these, so I'll go first to give you guys a roadmap. 
That's very thoughtful. My guess is that number one is the lie, because that's actually about Daniel Bernhardt, who played the character henchman in Hobbs and Shaw. But most people would probably know him as Ronnie, the Taekwondo champion in the epic fight scenes with Bill Hader and Barry, season two. <laughs> Love that episode. It's one of the best episodes of the show. That's a fact. Deep cuts, baby. Deep cut. Wild fight scene. It's such a funny episode because he's just sent there to kill this dude and he walks in and it's nothing but karate trophies everywhere. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's an incredible episode. Great, great fight. <laughs> I think number three is the, the lie because that was none other than notorious bad boy James Remar, who played Agent Markham in Too Fast, Too Furious. Notorious for, for getting kicked out of military school. I love James Remar. So do I. He's a good actor. And he likes to fight. Uh, I think three's the lie. I just don't know who. I know that I know that the Oscar one's a true fact about him, which makes this episode even harder tonight. I just yeah, three. Mm, Charlie's Theron. I think three is it too. In my quest to get a rapper as one of the answers as this trivia question. Sam Bow Wow, aren't you? No, I'm gonna say Ja Rule. Where is Ja? <laughs> ja Rule looks like he knows how to fight, so that's fair. Bow Wow does not look like he knows how to fight. That would have been an odd guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going with number three. That just sounds like too crazy and outlandish, but I I I don't know. I don't know. I'm going with Charlize on that one, because that would be great. Nothing is crazy and outlandish for Charlize. <laughs> nope. That woman's life is wild. <laughs> so those are all good guesses. But based on what everyone said, uh, what no one guessed was fact number two is only one of seven actors who have been nominated for an Oscar more than once and had won every time uh, they've been nominated. That's true. Uh, he has a 2-0 winning record when nominated for an Oscar. His two wins are for The Usual Suspects and American Beauty. Uh, looking through the list of actors, we've actually covered two of the other remaining six actors who are undefeated. Can you guys guess who they are? Oh, so I've used this fact twice before. See, I don't pay attention. Is Holly Hunter one of them? They are both men. Oh, okay. Holly Hunter's an awful guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I retract my previous statement. <laughs> Mahershala. Mahershala is one of them. Good guess. All right, you guys get the other one. I'm done. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman? No, but he should be. He's so good. The other one, I will say... One of his Oscars, he won for being a Nazi, and the other he oh, won Wolf. for killing yeah. Nazis. Yeah, nice. There you go. Good one. <laughs> Back number three was sent to military school after burning down his sister's treehouse, but was expelled from military school after beating a classmate with a tire. That is a true story of Kevin Spacey. When Spacey was in ninth grade, he burnt down his sister's treehouse. This led his parents to send him to military school. His dad is actually a famously abused him and was a Nazi himself. So I'm, I'm assuming this was lashing out at that. He only made it two years in military school before he was expelled for hitting a classmate with a tire. He transferred to a drama high school, so a creative arts high school uh, for 12th grade where he graduated Val Victorian. Hmm. And then he attended Juilliard solely on the advice from one of his classmates, Val Kilmer. Wow. What a origin story for getting into acting is you get an idea of where this man came from and kind of how it's all led to where he is at the moment. Mm -hmm. And fact number one, once gained 50 pounds for a role, but eventually had a herniated disc due to it, uh, which threatened continuing production is not true about Kevin Spacey, but is true about the then 43 year old 
Charlize Theron. Uh, she agreed to gain 50 pounds for a role, plus wear uh, an additional 45-pound fake belly uh, to play a pregnant, struggling suburban housewife for the movie Tully. Uh, but she blew her back out, and it actually almost put her career at risk. Uh, but obviously, she's okay today. But yeah, that woman's life is insane. It's a sneaky good movie, Tully. Tully, yeah. Tully's a great movie. All right, Case, tell us a little bit about his snapshot in box office history. This was an interesting person to look at. There's no doubt that Spacey's career has been affected by some of his current events, apparently some of his past events, as James was just talking about. It's hard to figure out where and when that actually plays a role into his career and his box office. Best box office performance comes from American Beauty, which isn't going to be a surprise to anyone. As James was talking about, that film was budgeted for a modest $15 million and pulled in a whopping world gross of $356 million. Damn. That's actually good enough for our ninth best return on investment movie. His second best performance movie is Seven, with a budget of $33 million and world grossing $327 million. Spacey's filmography is frequented by films that have modest or sensible budgets that do very well, which goes to the point James was making. While he's not the king of indie films, he's also not the king of big-budget films either. His highest budget is Superman Returns with a $270 million budget, which is actually our third or fourth highest budget. In fact, he's only in three films with over a $100 million budget, one of which is Fred Claus, which I thought was fascinating. (laughs) We weren't going to talk about Fred Claus, but we did it now. So congratulations, Fred. (laughs) We just did. He has his shares of Bomberoos as well. He's in seven films that lost $10 million or more, highlighted by the Billionaire Boys Club, which we'll be talking about later, Show of Force, and Edison. Here are the comparative metrics that we usually talk about. He's 58th in average budget, 31st in total box office, 27th in star meter, 40th in critic rank, which I thought was surprisingly low, 17th in fan, which I thought was surprisingly high, and 17th and 9th in our box office metrics. Overall, Kevin Spacey comes in at number 21. Oh, nice. Yep. I think that critic rank is unfair, but, I mean, can it be unfair when you've been accused of, like, raping every person you've ever talked to? I don't know. I was trying to figure out the trend, right? He didn't hit real high with a lot of critics early either, so... He's the type of actor that, and we'll talk about it with the theater background and kind of the larger, you know, like a large persona on screen that usually lands with critics. But for one reason or another, his whole career, he hasn't been super high with critics. I find that shocking. Yeah, that, that, that's a bit odd. Because you can criticize him for a lot, but you can't really criticize him for uh, his acting ability. It's probably one of those things where it's like, you know, good actor bad movie type situation yeah his overall critic ranking is only 56.6 percent and his fan ranking is 65.2 and like for comparison jennifer lawrence who we just covered she's 62.7 percent with critics he climbed all the way up to number two during the american beauty release and more recently, he's climbed up to number 51. And uh, I'll let you guys draw the conclusions on why that occurred. Well, I'm guessing it has to do with him being in at a courtroom in uh, the UK. I'm not going to lie. I thought he'd be higher. Same. At time of recording, he's only 585 right now. But I don't think people are looking up in his IMDb profile and looking up his movies. I think they're reading articles about a variety of nefarious activities. 
I wonder if people have just moved on from him. Like, like we're done. Like, this guy's a, he's a monster, so I'm not even going to think about him anymore. I think so. Spoiler for my Munson meter, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, I've been thinking for many weeks now of how I'm going to weigh his unbelievable performances versus his 12 sexual assault allegations. Yep. Uh, you know, how many points per sexual assault do I remove? The weighted scale. We're setting a precedent, so this is... Yeah. This is big. Let's dig in. This is what we do. 86 episodes into the Munsons. You all trust us to try to parse through this guy's career in a respectful but disrespectful way because he's brought it upon himself. Um, so this is a big challenge for us, but I think we're going to do a great job. We're going to go with first major roles, 1988. So before that, he was born in New Jersey in 1959. He relocated to California at the age of four. As James mentioned, his dad was the literal Nazi and abused him, so did not have a great relationship with his father. I would imagine, if I put on my psychological hat, that that probably plays a big role into how he treats other men in his life, but that is a separate topic or conversation. And he was also the co-valedictorian in high school. His first ever acting role was in a production of The Sound of Music in 1977 at the ripe age of 18 years old. He didn't start using... Spacey, his middle name, until Juilliard, I believe, so right around the time he graduated high school. Uh, he tried some comedy, as James mentioned, before he went to Juilliard, but most of his early career was on the stage, and the three big plays he did in the 80s there that kind of brought him to prominence were, was Sleuth, which we did. We covered Michael Caine, who was in the movie Sleuth, phenomenal film, Hurley Burley, and also Long Long Day's Journey in the Night. So very much got his start on the theater side, which catapulted him into the film and TV side of things. His first ever film role was in a film called Heartburn. He played Subway Thief, which, you know, I feel confident that Rigby could have played that role. You know, Rigby, you think you could steal some shit from somebody on the subway? You live in New York. You could do it. I could not. I always hated the subway. I love the subway. Always. It's an amazing way to travel. He hasn't done a lot of TV in his career. So early on, like most actors, working actors who are trying to get into the biz, coming off theater, he did an episode of The Equalizer, which I think we've mentioned like 20 times now in 86 episodes. Like so many people guest starred on that show in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I think his only recurring television role was on Wise Guy in 1988. He played seven episodes as Mel. He looks like a Mel. What is this show? What is Wise Guy? Yeah, the Brian De Palma movie but what's the what's wise guy the show never heard of it before i read something about a connection to like another big actor that he worked on uh, jonathan banks was in it too nice i've never heard of this show and it went for 13 years yeah it was apparently a huge show back then but i tiny we we lad but that's really his only like consistent tv character otherwise he went straight to the film side after this and just dominated that for most of his career yeah which is going to take us to his first major role in a, in a motion picture, and that's 1988's Working Girl. He played Bob, and Laura is our guest, Munson. She drew this one. So Working Girl is a classic 1988 rom-com drama. It showcases the talent. Like, it has a huge cast. There's a huge ensemble. There's Melanie Griffith, who plays the uh, film's protagonist, female protagonist, and then her boss is Sigourney Weaver, and Harrison Ford is also in the, in the film. However, Spacey has a very small, limited screen time. The moments that he is on screen, I mean, he kind of, I don't know, it's its pretty standout. Spacey portrays 
Bob Speck, which is a conniving and ambitious executive at a prestigious Wall Street firm. His time on screen may be four minutes, but the time that he is on screen in the film, he like manages to make a lasting impression. Uh, he's just like this conniving, gross, you know, morally ambiguous character, and uh, he's very manipulative of Melanie Griffith. Again, filling in his role down the villain hallway, which is very interesting. It's a, a testament to his talent as an actor and his ability to portray a gross villain. So I think it was a really interesting four minutes that he was on screen, but it uh, definitely makes a lasting impression. I would expect nothing less from a character named Bob Speck. Mm -hmm. That doesn't preach dignity in any way or shape or form. This role really is a great introduction to him being just the character that I think he plays the best. And that's just like a, like you said, conniving is a great word for it, Laura. I like it. And he's a sexual harasser in this movie as well, which yeah, kind of comes full circle with where we are now. So, Can you just do what you did to Tommy earlier? Just do it on screen this time. That'd be great. Oh, Sadly, back then in Hollywood, it was, uh, it was accepted back then. This is our friendly reminder that when people find out about these allegations years later, there are plenty of people in the industry that knew about it and don't say a fucking thing. So I have no remorse for making jokes like that because these people knew who Kevin Spacey was, just like people knew who Jonathan Mazers was. And everybody just kind of gassed him up and then, oh, he's been beating the shit out of all of his girlfriends since college days. Yes. Yes, he has. And people knew, but no one wanted to listen. Public service announcement. I have a similar announcement in my, uh, my career rating, but I'll save it for them. I love it. I love it. Ooh, teaser. Good good movie, though. If you haven't seen Working Girl, go check it out. I like it. It's very 80s. Very 80s New York. So 80s. Big hair, electric makeup, everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, riding those coattails of being a baddie in Working Girl is kind of first... Major is a stretch, but first role with some substantive time on screen. He plays Kurgo in See No Evil, Hear No Evil, and... Uh, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder production. I've never seen before. I always enjoy their films, and... Spacey plays another baddie here with an accent, and he's fun. He's just like a fun, like foreign baddie who just goes around screwing things up the whole movie. It's a, it's a fun. F I'm not a big fan of the uh, Gene Wilder uh, Richard Pryor combo mm. because for some reason people always give Gene Wilder all these props, and Richard Pryor was carrying movies in those times. I just never thought like Gene Wilder was on the same level as Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor is definitely carrying more of this film than Wilder. I think it has something to do with that Richard Pryor is a comedian by trade, and Gene Wilder is an actor. And so like when people would see him do these outlandish things, it was like, oh, that's an actor that is also funny. Wow, that's unique trait as opposed to um, Richard Pryor, where it's like it's one of the world's greatest comedians. And he's a pretty good actor. And people just kind of downplay someone's acting a bit. Like we've seen it with musicians and with other comedians where it's like, no, nah, that person sucks. Like, no, they're, they're pretty good at acting. And it's just harder for people to wrap their heads around that. That's a fair point. I don't disagree with that. 
could also be something else. Could be racism, guys. Robert, what do you think it be? <laughs> but going back to the stage side, in 1991, he performed in Lost in Yonkers, played Uncle Louie, and he won his first Tony Award. So I think only the fourth Munson we've covered in 86 episodes to win a Tony, and he's won multiple Tonys, I believe. That's that's a big deal. Only four? Only four. Wow, that is a big deal. I would assume like Lithgow is over there. Christine Baranski... Maggie Smith, Madhu Broderick, and Kevin Spacey. Only four in 86 episodes. Nice. Oh, okay. Which is nuts to me. Yeah, but that just goes to show. Remember I told you guys I heard Henry Winkler in an interview saying that a Tony is the one award he would love to win because it's so hard to get. Yep. So still doing great work on the theater side. And then he joins the, a pretty big cast in 1992's Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. He played John. Uh, and let me tell you, I've never seen it before, but if I hear someone say the word leads, I'll fucking murder them. Because <laughs> that word is used like the F word in the South Piker episode. They just will not stay, stop saying leads. How about your leads? Tell me about your leads. What are we going to do to get the leads? Shut up. <laughs> I, this movie drove me fucking crazy. I don't know how people enjoy this film. Uh, coffee is for closers, okay? Yeah. Chill out. Always be closing, Kyle. <laughs> this movie has one of the best opening scenes of any in Hollywood history with Alec Baldwin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it kind of just sucks the rest of the way. Phenomenal. Yeah, it's iconic. This is a remake, right? It's a play. Oh, it's a play? By David Mamet, yeah. I need those leads. I will say this movie did give him a chance to work with his mentor, Jack Lemmon. Oh, okay. On screen, so that's cool. The cast is really strong, right? The cast is great. Oh, it's awesome. Cool. Deals with the leads. He's like runs the real estate office, right? Yeah. He definitely is at the epicenter Deals. of the leads in this movie. He will not give them the leads. I need those leads. Rest in peace, Alan Arkin. Yeah. He's great. You're right. Ed Harris, Jonathan Price, Bruce Altman, Pacino. I mean, it's it's a pretty ridiculous all male. It would not pass the Bechtel test, I don't think. No. It would t pass the leads test, though. You just have to say it more than three times, and you pass that one. <laughs> I think that's the only one. James, I apologize. I really wanted to watch The Ref after we discussed it on the Christine Baranski episode with Dennis. Movie rocks. Who does Spacey play in the film? His name is Lloyd Chasseur, and he plays the, but they're being robbed on Christmas Eve, and they're going through such a horrific like divorce that they don't give a shit that they're being robbed, and they essentially are being held hostage by the burglar who's played by... Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary, yes. And... They just like don't give a shit that he's there and just continue to fight and bring him in on their fights. And he's great in it. It is a very funny movie and it is very unique for a Christmas movie. So I always enjoyed the ref. As they're being like held hostage by uh, these armed robbers, his wife agrees with the robbers about something and he just like immediately is like, oh, what are you just going to go blow them next? <laughs> and like it's to that level where like they don't give a shit that there's a gun in their face. They're just having that argument out in front of everyone. Same year. He plays a journalist named Harry in Iron Will, a film that I had on VHS and watched a ton when I was a kid and hadn't seen in 20 plus years. He's a prick in this film. Anybody rewatch Iron Will? The hell is that? You've never <laughs> seen Iron Will? I was there. It's a, like a Alaskan dog race film where his dad uh, his dies and he decides to participate in the Iditarod. That was a made up story. There's no way it's about the Iditarod. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's got good ratings yeah every episode you guys go into these books that you guys fucking read in high school i actually had to read this book in high school <laughs> you did yes i read this book and i believe yeah i definitely watched this movie it's about the iditarod or some shit like that i did not remember spacey in it but he is a all-time prick 
as a, as a journalist in this. So he stays pretty much on brand. Nice. I mean, does he play any other role? Uh, he does. I mean, he just, this is just, that's just what he plays best. Somebody point out what he's actually a, a good character. I'll be interested then. Man, he was busy in 1994. Uh, Swimming with Sharks, he played Buddy, another baddie, plays this angry film exec who gets exactly what he deserves by the end of the film. Yeah, this is a fun movie. When we when we talked about doing Spacey last time, um, this is the movie I said that I hope you guys get to watch because I, I really enjoy it. Like you said, Kyle, he's a film exec who's a total asshole to his assistant and his assistant turns the tables on him and kidnaps him and tortures him. And yeah, it's it's a good it's it's a funny uh, dark comedy for sure. I remember this movie doing super well on DVD because after his next two or three movies, he had such a big buzz that by the time this movie got out, I, that's the only thing I remember about this movie. It felt like a precursor to his role in Horrible Bosses. Yeah. Like Good call. they saw him in Swimming with Sharks, they're like, oh, he could do this 100%. All right, 95, a film we've talked about a lot. So we talked about it with Gabriel Byrne, Chaz Palantaria, Dan Hedaya, a role that won him an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor as Roger yeah. uh, in 95's The Usual Suspects. The best part about this movie is that it came out in 95. So there was no way of getting spoilers on this. And I remember going to watch this movie in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, visiting some of my friends at UW-Eau Claire. When that movie hit a turn, like we all just sat there. like Nobody stood up and left when the movie was over because everybody was trying to figure out what was going on because that's one of the greatest character turns that I've ever seen. I should have said his character's name was Verbal. That's what I should have said. You could, it could be like me and have, it hit, have the movie be spoiled by the end of a scary movie. Because I had never seen, I, I saw a scary movie first and then realized that that was the ending to The Usual Suspects. So needless to say, I knew the twist. A bad memory was a benefit because I saw a scary movie a bunch of times. This was the first time I watched Usual Suspects. Oh, wow. Ooh. Oh, wow. Oh, really? First time. And it was great. I also called that he was going to be that like way early. And my wife, we, we had an argument. <laughs> and she, for so long, she was like, Oh, you're wrong. She was so hyped that she thought she was going to be right. She was not. I celebrated. Who'd you think it was? Gabriel Burns' character. Same here. That's who I thought it was as well. Kaiser Soze. That's who they fit up to be. When that was all playing out, she just had the smuggest look on her face. Like The longer this goes, the more right I have a chance of being. This movie is incredible, though. Yeah. I was late to it, and I'm so glad I got there. All right, all right. Let's, let's narrow it down to the four we've covered. Chaz, Hedaya, Byrne. And Spacey, who's the best of the four? Spacey. It's the guy who won the Oscar. Yeah, yeah it's it's Spacey. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna say, give me Spacey on that one. Burn. That's really good. If I had to rank, it would be Spacey, Chaz, Burn, Hedaya. Does that feel like an accurate? I only say Burn because he fooled Aubrey's wife for the whole movie. So I thought he did a phenomenal job. Keaton, right? Is that his name? I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's gonna appreciate you going to bat for her there. <laughs> right, same year. I mean, he's still busy in 94 and 95. I mean, we, we just covered four films already between those two years. And you've got Outbreak. He plays Major Schuler alongside Rene Russo. Outbreak is awesome. Well, he just won, a, just won an Oscar. So now he's the hot, you know, the hot new actor. You got to get him in there. Well, he would have already been probably billed for these other films before that. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. But to your point, yes. If you want to see him die gruesomely, watch Outbreak. <laughs> yeah, he gets That's it bad. Vibe you want. Mm-hmm. I love that movie until like the last twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. That I was just gonna say, it turns into like a like an action movie. It's like this is dumb now. 
it was like shockingly accurate up until that point for how the oh, government we reacted to COVID. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, they <laughs> predicted pretty close how it was going to be. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit eerie to watch. If Fauci would have hijacked a helicopter, that would have been a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> And if you want to watch a really shitty version of this uh, same adaptation from the book starring William Atherton, watch Virus. Virus. <laughs> Awful movie. <laughs> Which version of Virus of the three from that time period? The only one with William Atherton in it. I think they both came out in 95. <laughs> yes, they did. That's why it floored me. On the Rigby trend of like naming what's your favorite performance by somebody? Mine might be his role as John Doe in seven ninety five David Fincher film. He's not in, in it a ton until the end. And, but he's obviously pulling the strings the entire film. Yeah. And what a sick bastard. I'm torn between a few, but that is one of them. I totally agree. I think he's fantastic in this movie. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's like uncredited in the, yeah. in the credits, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was a conscious decision that the production company made yeah. uh, that he signed off on so that it wouldn't spoil because at that point he'd become such a big name that everyone would be like, well, if Spacey's in this, when is he showing up? And then they would ruin which his character is. Yeah. And so he didn't do any press for it. He didn't do the red carpet, nothing. And his name didn't show up in the like the uh, billing until after it already had been released. Such a good movie. Seven is the movie I, I personally feel like Brad Pitt became a legit big-time actor. Yeah. yeah, he kills in that. He was just the hot guy that was also like pretty good at acting. And then with this, it's like mm-hmm. he has so much range. Yep. 96, he played D.A. Buckley in A Time to Kill, alongside Warren's favorite, Brenda Fricker, the bird lady. First time watch for me. I enjoyed A Time to Kill. Wow, first time watch, huh? First time watch for A Time to Kill. Yep, I liked it. I still have not seen this. I was trying to make time to get to this one. Matthew McConaughey, Samuel L. Jackson. It's a, it's a, such an outlandish plot, and it's kind of overacted, but it's a good watch. Matthew McConaughey credits this movie for uh, his acting career. Yeah, this is where this is his first starring role for sure. He was about ready to quit acting, from what I remember, and he got this role, and he's like, "My life was changed overnight." Damn. Aubrey, basic concept of a time to kill is these two. You'd love it because uh, Samuel L. Jackson murders two racist. Uh, pedophile rapist <laughs> then the rest of the movie is him on trial and Kevin Spacey plays the uh, the DA who's trying to basically prosecute Samuel L. Jackson for murder and uh, I won't spoil it from there beyond Samuel L. delivers an amazing line in this movie Yes, <laughs> it's classic he says yes they deserve to die and I hope they burn in hell <laughs> I think he repeated that in one of his shark movies. That's where you'd recognize that line from Aubrey. <laughs> yep. Yep. The greatest movie of all time. And then he has his directorial debut in 96's Albino Alligator, which stars Matt Dillon. And I just remember this film not being very good when I watched it for that episode. We talked about it for the Dillon episode, I remember. It's not a very good film, so I don't think the directing side went terribly well for him there in 96. Uh, but that's going to take us to highest score, which is 97's L.A. Confidential. He plays Jack and James pulled it. Good pull. I had never seen this movie up until this recording. I knew that it was popular. It just I'm not a big kind of period piece fan, even when it's it looked too Hollywood for me, I guess, when it came out. And I've been very wrong about movies like this 
going solely off of previews. And I was wrong again here. So this movie has a 99% critic score and a 94% audience score. So pretty much universally loved. The movie surprised me. It was very enjoyable. It ended up being nominated for nine Academy Awards and winning two. One was Best Screenplay, and the other was uh, Best Supporting Actress for Kim Basinger. It's set in 1950s Hollywood, and it's told from the perspective of three very different cops that are all after truth behind the same slaughter of six people. Um, but each cop kind of has their own very unique style. Uh, one is Guy Pierce, who's kind of like the young golden boy of the police force, who's looking to do anything like kind of politically to get ahead but is also not going to sell out and is not going to kind of play by the rest of the rules that the dirty LAPD has been playing by. The other one is uh, a young Russell Crowe, who's kind of ready to break the rules all the time to seek justice and is barely able to kind of maintain his rage and violence. The only kind of guiding force he has is he absolutely respects women and anytime he sees a woman kind of in danger he goes and mercilessly beats the shit out of the dude who's putting her in danger <laughs> but he's barely like under control and then the third is our man of the hour uh spacey who's more so looking to be like a celebrity cop and he's involved very much on the hollywood side and he helps with cop tv shows and he's not really interested in actually being a cop but more of the fame that comes with it so he'll make arrests and make sure he gets his picture in the paper uh, stuff like that but his conscience kind of drives him to join the other two cops to find the truth behind this unsolved crime and it is a lot and it is a long movie but it doesn't feel long and that's a lot for me to say with my ADD. <laughs> when a movie's like three hours, man, I, it feels like it's 12 hours to me. But this movie was long and it didn't feel that long. Like the pacing's really good. It's very pretty. Every actor is putting on a, a great performance. I don't feel like anyone really dragged this movie down at all. I was impressed uh, throughout the entire cast and the script was really good. I would say of the three main cops, Spacey's probably the easiest to read his motivation is clear and transparent and you know he's kind of a slime ball and he'll lie just to get ahead and you kind of see where that's going and what happens is it's more of a shock that he's actually genuinely trying to solve this case uh the other two guy pierce and russell crowe i think are the more fascinating characters but that doesn't downplay Spacey's performance. I think all the main actors did well. And obviously Kim Basinger uh, won an Academy Award for it. She plays like a, initially you think she's like an old Hollywood starlet. And then you kind of learn to realize that she's more so of like a high-end prostitute. And I think she's great in this movie as well. But because it's obviously his most uh, highest rated critic score. I'll go on a limb and say that of all the actors that we've covered, of all the movies we watched, uh, this is my favorite movie of any that we've talked about on this podcast. Oh, wow. This is my second favorite movie of all time. First being Goodfellas, which I don't think we've talked about. But LA Confidential, I've loved it since the first time I saw it. Very rewatchable. It also has an awesome supporting cast of James Cromwell, David Strathairn. Yeah, just the list goes on and on. Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito, yeah. Hush, hush. He is killed by James Cromwell's character, who's the chief of police. Crom Daddy? Yeah. I love Jack Vincent's character, Kevin Spacey's character. He loves loves the attention. He, like, moonlights on this show that's based on Dragnet, where he gives, like, advice on how, like, cops act in real life. Yeah, 
he's awesome in it. This was the first watch for me too. I made a point to get to this one because I remember you saying that Rigby, this is one of your favorite movies of all time. So I was like, I definitely gotta watch this one. Oh yeah, man, this one didn't disappoint. I love this movie. Yeah, probably rewatch this again real soon. Like this, I just I was in from start to like right from the beginning. It's weird to say that it's a lot of fun to watch, but it's just so engaging. Yeah, it is. Yeah, which is a word that gets put on every movie poster. How it all unfolds is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of really good movies I watched for this one, but this is towards the top of the list of them. Um, if I know someone that's like, I haven't seen that, you need to stop what you're doing and watch that movie right now. Yeah, absolutely. Aubrey. Yes, I loved it. I loved it. It's such a great movie. I think, you know, Spacey in it is incredible and honestly a classic. I remember when it came out, <laughs> like I remember it from that long ago. And I didn't really watch it then, but I watched it like a few years later and uh, just being completely like blown away with what I had seen. It holds up. It definitely is one of those films that holds up through time. It's it's a great film. Great film altogether. I'm ashamed to say I didn't see it, but I did watch the YouTube clip where he gets shot in the chest by James Cromwell. So oh, I feel so like that dude. ruined the experience for me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was too busy rewatching Iron Will, guys. Leave me alone. It's okay. I was doing, I was doing the Lord's work. Okay. 97, he hosted SNL for the first time. So one of the few months since we've covered that has hosted SNL multiple times. That hasn't happened very often in 86 episodes. So that's pretty cool. I don't know which appearance it was, but he had a breakout recurring skit on there when they were doing a series on, on multiple different episodes across a couple of seasons where they were doing these weird actors auditioning for parts in Star Wars. He's auditioning to be uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, the other one was in 2006. So what time frame makes more sense for that? Like who who else was on in the skits? I think it was 97 because I remember watching it when I was in college. I think it was from his first go around. Years after doing Hurley Burley on the stage, which kind of brought him to prominence he appears in the film version as mickey in 98 alongside chaz palmentary again and then he goes to the animated side as the baddie in a bug's life he plays hopper and his voice is so iconic for hopper i, I rewatched hopper uh-huh. or a bug's life and i was like yep kevin spacey just absolutely commanded the shit out of that role my son went through a phase of this where he was watching bug's life like every day for like two months <laughs> it's a good movie it, it works man that movie is awesome He's what I think about when I think about this movie. So, like, it's if this movie comes up, I immediately go to him. Mm-hmm. He's probably a large part of why this movie works so well. I don't think I can name another voice actor from that film, but you know Spacey right away as Hopper. Mm-hmm. I think it goes to show how good of a baddie you are if you can do baddie well on motion picture screen and do it in the animated side. I think it's a testament to your skills there. True. Well, right before the millennium, he sneaks in another Oscar win, goes two for two as Lester in American Beauty. So I was reluctant to rewatch this. Mm-hmm. So when I first watched it, it was a while ago, I adore this movie. The first time I watched it, I thought it was like a masterpiece. This was the very last thing I watched because I was just like, I'm not sure I want to do this. And I still adore this movie. It's it's a full on masterpiece. This is my favorite of all the movies he's done. I think this is the best movie that he's done. This movie is just full on incredible. It holds up. Very much holds up. Okay. What Sam Mendes like, what he captures is an is an angst that you have, in your, you know, in your thirties and your forties. Like this, right. just the angst that comes with being an adult when you're getting brought down by the monotony of doing the same thing every day with nowhere really to go. He captures that really well in this, and then how it all that travels throughout all of the relationships and 
how everyone intersects the same idea, it almost becomes more appealing, more gripping, older you get, because you understand it a lot more. It's fully brilliant. His characters, there's so much depth to it because like <clears throat> you judge, but then understand on like every other decision he makes. And you're like, this guy's, he's kind of fucking up. He's doing creepy shit, but like he's not going all the way with it. And you kind of get while he's making some decisions and they really don't paint any of the characters in like a black or white, which does make it hard to rewatch, but it's like purposeful. This is a tough story. These are heavy situations. And so I totally understand the reluctancy to rewatch it. I did find it fascinating though, knowing more about his upbringing, the Nazi father Mm -hmm. and the father's reaction to thinking his son's gay, which probably hits very close to home for Spacey's upbringing. Mm -hmm. And for him to be kind of on the other side of that, interacting with it, I found fascinating upon rewatching it. The Wes Bentley character we have referred to as Seneca Crane in this house because of the Hunger Games. He like is, I feel like Kevin Spacey saw, like I, I feel like it was surreal. It would be a surreal thing to see like, Kind of a depiction of your life, right? Thing opposite you. The complexity in his character, I th- I find this movie to be oddly optimistic. Yeah, it, I feel like it does end kind of positive for a for a sick dark ending. It, the characters end on a higher note. It's a drastic ending, but it's the point that's being made is a really optimistic one, which to me will bring me back to this movie more and more. I think if not for the Kevin Spacey of it all, and then like the the loose narrative building around his character in this movie makes it harder. I almost feel like my relationship to this movie reflects kind of how my relationship to him as an actor has been. I just kind of abandoned the movie for, you know, five years or so and didn't try not to think about it, whatever. It's just kind of gone. And then I'm like, I just kind of circle back to it. Now, the only difference is I think the movie's great and I think he's a monster, but yeah, Less gray area. I allowed the outside noise to kind of taint this movie because it was a lot of people hopped on to... Mm-hmm. He didn't look at his character as complex as it actually is. And they kind of just touch on that very initial like creepiness and be like, see, look, oh, can't watch American Beauty now. It's crazy. And it's like, this movie's got so much more to offer. Like, there's really good performances in this. This is a must-watch must if you can, you can manage the spacey of it all. Also 99, he joined in the ranks. David Spade got his Hollywood star. Very important. David Spade proudly got it years early. David Spade will forever live on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is accurate. That is history, James. Possible bullshit, but what's not bullshit is, well, he got a, a Tony nom and uh, won an award, the Lawrence Olivier Award for Best Actor for his role in The Iceman Cometh back on the stage side. So doing some incredible work, winning Oscars on screen and then still continuing his work on the stage and getting lots of notoriety. Also probably still preying on young boys in the stage or two. So, uh, 2000, um, he is Michael, an ordinary decent criminal. If you guys will remember that, that was Christoph Waltz's first American film role. We didn't really talk about it much on the Waltz episode, but that, that is the connection there. And then he goes back to the director's chair as the director for WWF's judgment day special in 2000 which is interesting. 
Indifferent. Directed a wrestling special. It's so random. <laughs> we haven't seen that in 86 episodes. That was the Attitude Era, after all. It, it was the Attitude Era, you're right. I don't know if that's worth a point, maybe. We'll get there. <laughs> be honest, I skipped over this in the show notes. I would have watched this had I seen this. <laughs> For research purposes only. I'll alert you next time we have a, an actor who's got a wrestling connection. I'll, I'll give you a heads up. I would have given him some credit if he if he'd have directed the the Method Man video of Judgment Day. I would have given him some credit, but mm. unfortunately, he was not involved with that. Agreed. Oh, well, that's your Munson meter, so we we're not here to shame that one. 2001, he, he plays Prot, uh, an alien in the movie K-Pax, but the more interesting thing I th- I found about K-Pax is he was originally slated to potentially play the role of President Whitmore in Independence Day, and then they decided not to go that route and instead hired Bill Pullman to do that. Mm. Just wonder what it would have been like to have Spacey give that speech about taking on aliens. Probably great. to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great speech, and he's a great actor. Pullman nailed it, though. It would have been great, but some things are, some things were meant to happen. Yeah. Is K-Pax worth watching? No, I don't think it is. I remember it being bad, but I didn't rewatch it. And my memory has failed me before. <laughs> I actually remember watching this movie having been told it was bad. And I couldn't figure out why people didn't like it outside of maybe it just might not be everyone's cup of tea. And I think the real question here, Kyle, is, is he an alien? We don't know. In the movie, they, do they answer that? They do not it's very ambiguous. I would say it's worth a watch, but I wouldn't invest time to go out of your way to watch it. Okay. So I'm sorry if you're listening and we don't have a great review on whether Kevin Spacey can play an alien or alleged alien. So you're going to have to do that research on your own. Our apologies. Allegedly. Allegedly. Something else that's different and unique. In 01, he narrated Shackleton's Antarctic Adventure. If you know anything about Sir Ernest Shackleton, this incredible survival story where the ship gets stuck in the ice. And I, I've always found that story really fascinating, but I didn't know he narrated that. 2002, a very small cameo in a film we've talked about on the Seth Green and Michael Caine episodes. He plays Dr. Evil in Austin Powers' gold member in like the last scene in the movie when they're at the, the movie premiere. And he and Danny DeVito play Dr. Evil in Mini-Me. So gold member is one of the Austin Power movies that I didn't feel like held up. His cameo did make me laugh, though, because... Him shooting the gun and then Mini-Me being Danny DeVito was just stupid enough to make me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Show me a freaking bone here. (laughs) And then 2003, a movie we talked about on the Laura Linney episode, huge audience gap with The Life of David Gale. James reviewed this. Uh I mean, it's an 81-19 gap. It's one of the biggest gaps we've ever had in the Munson's universe. And it's a film that audiences really liked and critics fucking despised. I thought Spacey was pretty solid. <laughs> Shocker, he plays a, a rapist. <laughs> I remember really liking this movie, like going back to my review that I did for the Linny episode. Before I did rewatched it, I remember being like, oh, I like this movie. It's so clever. And um, the twist and the way the story is told. And then when I rewatched it, I realized it's, it's more cheesy than I remembered it being. There's a little, there's some plot holes, but it's not a 19. No. That's an insult. It is not that. I think I'm a little lower than the audience is where I ended up. James, I think this is one of those movies that I referenced earlier where for some reason the critics weren't on board, right? And 
I think the fans probably liked this because of Spacey. It's touching on a lot of political topics. Yeah. And at that time, similar stories had come out, but not to this extent. And so they kind of combined a couple of actually happening, happening political stories into this dramatic one. And when people decide they don't want that to happen, they'll use uh, any excuse to shit on it. And that seems to be what happened with the critics. Do I think it's an 81? No, I don't. But it's not a 19. It's about capital punishment, and that's a touchy subject, no matter how you spell it out. Uh Well, 2003 is also when he started his role as the artistic director at the Old Vic. He was there from 2003 to 2015 in there in London and he did lots of theater work during that time. This is also where a lot of his uh, sexual assault and sexual harassment allegations came from. A lot of them, but not all of them, Kyle. You know, it's important (laughs) to remember that the man diversifies. And I believe his first accuser was in the original cast of Rent. That's what my friend told me that I I should mention. He was. Any rap, I believe is his name. Any rap, that's it. But largest audience gap is the United States of Leland. He played Albert and also produced the film 2003, and Aubrey has it. Oftentimes there'll be like a movie you miss, and you go back and you look at it, and you see the cast. The cast is great. You're like, oh man, this is going to be a great time. I found one of those like hidden gems. This is what I thought was going to happen with this movie. Ryan Gosling's in this, Don Cheadle, Spacey, obviously, Chris Klein, Jenna Malone. Incredible Michelle Williams, Kerry Washington, Michael Pena. This cast is loaded. This movie is wholly forgettable. Like, just wildly forgettable. (laughs) Um, It is one of the most bizarre (laughs) plots I've ever seen. So Ryan Gosling is like this detached teenager, kind of like just moving through life with his own issues and whatnot. And he murders a special needs kid and goes to juvenile detention where he gets like taken under the wing of Don Cheadle who is the teacher in this juvenile detention center who is also an aspiring author and may or may not be trying to write a book about this kid where the kid basically just shares his views on life Whilst we also see flashbacks of his interactions with this family, because Ryan Gosling is dating the sister of the kid he later murders, it's wild. Chris Klein is in this movie. He like lives with this family. It's because Kevin Spacey's the dad, Ryan Gosling, who is like he's a bad dad, obviously. He's in the movie for very little. And he doesn't really do a whole lot. I wouldn't say it's like terrible. It's just not really worth any of the time. It's earnest. It's trying to say something. I will not regret my time watching this. I'm thankful for this podcast for allowing me to watch it because this is one of the very few Michelle Williams movies I haven't seen. She's great. (laughs) I love her dearly. And glad I got to cross this one off my list. So where do you fall on the uh, 81-34 split? He's got back-to-back audience gap films here. I understand why the split is, is as it is. Even though I, I have questions as to what these people were really expecting when they went in there. I'm with the critics. This one is bad. Yeah. Closer to 40? Not Michelle Williams. She was great. <laughs> it gets up to a 40 just because she was great. Even though she didn't really have much to do, she spent a lot of time crying. But that's fine. She looked great doing it. How much money did this movie lose, Case? I imagine this is a was not a moneymaker. This was not a ludicrous song. 
No, it only world grossed three hundred forty-four thousand, but the uh, budget was undisclosed. I guarantee you, it cost more than three hundred forty-four thousand to make it. Who saw this movie? How did it get eighty-something percent from the audience? Who saw it? Uh, according to Rotten Tomatoes, there are how many reviews? There are twenty-five thousand plus ratings from audience members. Holy on, shit! On Rotten Tomatoes, it's not worth anyone's time unless you are a super fan of one of these people. 2004, he does the first of two biopics where he plays Bobby Darren in Beyond the Sea, a movie he directed, produced, and wrote. Got a Golden Globe. It's a good song. He actually <laughs> sings in it, too. I've never seen this before. I've only seen his singing performances. I remember it coming out, though, from back in the day. Never heard of it before. 2006, he joins our boy James Marsden in Superman mm-hmm. Returns, plays Lex Luthor. This movie could have been a good movie, but it was held back by the most boring portrayal of Superman himself. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Of all the things you're afraid that could be boring about Superman, because when he's, you know, like this undefeatable superhero, I feel like that can make him less interesting. That's why I think Spider-Man and Batman have done better when it comes to making movies. But there are fascinating things you could do about su- uh, Superman. It's just you have to like maybe approach like he's not that interested in helping humans because you know kind of like the dr manhattan approach from the watchman kind of thing but what they went for here was like oh he's like a a dork I'm like oh great that's fun I, I think brandon routh roth i don't know how to pronounce his name i think he was casted because routh yeah he looks a lot like christopher reeves and there, it's like a continuation of this story but like i was like oh cool you made superman a nerd <laughs> Oh, and there I can hear the love story that is not interesting. But I will say Spacey as Lex Luthor, not the worst part of it. I can't refute anything that you said. However, I do like this movie. No, I offer no rebuttals because I think you're <laughs> right. But this, I like this movie. I enjoyed it. I found it thoroughly mid. That's the best yeah. way I would put it. It's, it's, just, it's just, It could have been a good movie. Yeah, I agree. I think the idea is good. Superman was gone. He came back. You want him to be a better Lex Luthor than he is, too, for some weird reason. It's not that good, as it? Yeah, because he's like a Lex Luthor that's more, like, obsessed with real estate development than he is with, like, (laughs) committing crimes. And so you're like, oh, like, I kind of get it. But, you know, it's like there's the idea of a good movie there, and it's just not that good. I kind of rooted for... Spacey as Lex Luthor because Superman was so thoroughly uninteresting. I was like, fucking kill him. Stab that green thing straight into him. Let's go. (laughs) He's an alien. He's not even one of us. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. I get it. Clean the place up. Clean up crime. That's what I say. 21 plays Mickey, a tyrant professor, which it's a fun movie. I always enjoy 21. Card playing, blackjack, Mm -hmm. stakes, all all that fun stuff. And true story, correct? Yep. Yep. I had the opposite reaction. I watched this a long time ago and liked it and rewatched it this time and was not a fan. No? None of this stuff worked for me. Mm. I'm not going to defend like we just <laughs> talked about. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. It has the distinction for me of being the first movie I've ever seen by myself. Oh, really? <laughs> I was like, I'm going to... Yeah, I went to a theater and watched it by myself. <laughs> and? Did you like it? I did like it. I remember liking it. I haven't seen it since, but I think... I more so found the story fascinating. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne's awesome in this movie. I think he's particularly he's captivating definitely going on screen. For it. He's going for yeah, it. Yeah, he's great. 
He's like the casino enforcer, isn't he? He's security, basically. And I skipped over, but Fred Claus is buried in there too, that money-making giant there in between. Claus is great. Justice for Fred Claus. 2008 TV movie recount. He got primetime Emmy and Golden Globe noms for his role as Ron. This movie about the presidential election in Florida, Gore and Bush. This is a good TV movie. And being a good guy right here. Yep. Is that his first good guy role? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, it's I like I like recount a lot. Depends how you feel about real estate and Lex Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good guy in uh, Outbreak. He just it's true gets his his alpha gets caught on the corner. You know, it's not his fault. He's a bit of a dick, though. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I think he's a good guy depending on how you feel about the 2000 election. If you're a Republican or Democrat, you either think he's a good guy or a bad guy. <laughs> this movie's not. This movie's a fun watch. Well, which side was he on in this movie? He's a Democrat. He was. Oh, then he's a great guy in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, he is Al Gore's campaign manager. Yep. Oh, then he he just fucked up. This was a good time. It's a little cheesy in parts, and some of the like they go out of their way to recreate actual events in a way that seems kind of unnatural to how things are unfolding in the movie. Mm-hmm. Overall, I had a good time with this. This was if you like this type of thing, it's it's a fun watch. Yeah. Was this a broadcast? TV movie or like an HBO TV movie? HBO. Okay. It's always nice to be reminded when your state like almost destroys the world. (laughs) (laughs) 2009 Moon plays Gertie, the voice of the essentially like the robot. And it's there's I think it's really only the two of them in the film. Him and Sam Rockwell. We knocked out the casting. Yeah. Different. Unique. Really good film. I think highly underrated in a lot of circles. I still think this movie's Criminally underrated for the incredible performance Sam Rockwell puts in this thing. I agree. This is Rockwell elite acting. Doing some more narration work in Guerrilla School 2010. So some of the philanthropic side, he did 13 episodes of narration there. And then a film that I find incredibly rewatchable and I think shows his comedic timing. And that's his role as Harkin in Horrible Bosses from 2011. This was uh, the other role that I think is one of my favorite roles of his. I think I agree. he's so fucking funny in this movie. Agreed. Yeah. I agree. What do I tell you? I agree. You're not, you can't win a marathon without putting some band-aids on your nipples. <laughs> the three bosses are so fucking funny. Like every line they each have is so ridiculous. Unbelievable. You get introduced to Jennifer Aniston's character. And the first line she says is, I fingered myself so hard last night, I broke a nail. Like, it's so, like, it's like a spit take funny. It's so fucking funny. What do I got to tell you every time I take a shit? Huh? <laughs> I need you to fire the fat people. All of them. They gross me out. I remember seeing this movie with you and Warren and just dying laughing. At yep. It. Oh, man. When Jason Bateman explains how he's pissed off that he had to work nights and he missed his Gam Gam's funeral, the laugh that Kevin Spacey has is so condescending that it's hilarious. I didn't know you called your grandmother Cam Cam. Cam Cam. The whole like uh, always, always paranoid that his wife's cheating on him too is so funny. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's fucking every guy in the neighborhood. Yeah, it's so funny. So fucking funny. <laughs> and that whole scene, top to bottom, is incredible. When he's just like, "You want a drink?" He's like, "It's eight fifteen in the morning." He's like, "Is it?" What do you mean? I said, you, is, you can't have a drink in the morning? He's like, sure. 
pours him a double. It's like, I'm not an alcoholic. What are you crazy? <laughs> He's so good at being an asshole that like you immediately understand Bateman's motivation. Mm-hmm. You're like, uh, like I wouldn't do it, but I get it. You know, <laughs> I thought he was hysterical in this movie. I think Colin Farrell's the best character of the movie. Yeah, Colin me. Farrell and uh, Jamie Foxx as Motherfucker Jones kills yeah, me every time. Motherfucker Jones. <laughs> I came up from behind her. So you do know the movie. <laughs> so you do. I quote Char- <laughs> what uh, Charlie Day says when he's poked out of his mind and they lock him out of the car so that they can talk about strategy without him fucking it up. <laughs> One of the lines he says as he's just like jiggling the handle trying to break it off is, a man has his limits. I say that shit all the time. <laughs> I think it's so funny. <laughs> Why not you fire Professor Xavier over there? He's like, you don't give a shit about this company. That's right, I don't give a shit about this company. This is an ATM for me. You think I want to do this shit? I want to be on an island with models doing coke. You think I want to be here? So same year, he goes to a, I don't know if I call it political, a film about the world of finance in Margin Call alongside Stanley Tucci, 2011. After LA Confidential, this is my second favorite. Not only Kevin Spacey movie, but performance. I love Margin Call. It's a great film. He's the most sympathetic character in the movie. So when we're when we're talking about we're talking about good guys that he's played throughout his career this one is top of my list for me just because yeah he's the most sympathetic of the of all the of all the characters that's a pretty short list so that's impressive yeah <laughs> three of them yes yeah i highly recommend people watch margin call it's it's a pretty fantastic film the 2009 and all the chaos from our financial systems right rigs mhm mm-hmm. yep it's basically like the day of like a like a failing bank and it's like efforts to try to get rid of all this bad money off their books. And it kind of leaves like an ambiguous ending at the end, but it's basically like these guys all know they're fucked and like, they're just trying to get out from under it pretty much. And that's going to jump us to probably one of his most prominent roles. And it's back on the TV side. He hadn't done TV in a while, but he, his role is Francis Underwood in house of cards over 65 episodes from 2013 to 2017 alongside Mahershala and Nev Campbell and many others. When this show first came out, I was a fan and I was enthralled. And then I just kind of fell off and stopped watching. And I know we had covered it before in the podcast, but I hadn't rewatched it. I was just going based off of how I previously felt. And so I decided for this, since that is like his last prominent role, I guess, in my eyes, I'd rewatch it. And I got hooked and I watched all 65 episodes that he was in. Damn. Wow. I've done that in, in the time since we've had our last podcast, so it's not a lot of time. I love it. Wow. My review of it will be, I think the first two seasons of it are fantastic. I think it kind of loses steam once he actually becomes president. I think it's more fascinating while he's like scheming. Yep. And then I think it really loses steam when the actual timeline lines up when Trump was actually elected. Because then the things you see on the show are no longer that cartoonish. And mm-hmm. yep. you're like, oh, the real world is way fucking crazier than you guys are portraying it in this TV show. And because of his sexual assault allegations, he didn't get to do the final season and they wrote him off and they ended it. And I think he actually got sued by Netflix or whatever insurance the production company had because of the amount of money that went into the production. 
he hasn't paid the money that they're asking for. And I think it's going to go to court where he eventually won't have to pay it. But it was, hey, we've already filmed this much. We have this much money going towards it. And now we have to redo all of that because you're uh, you violated our code of conduct policy that Netflix has. And they sued him for like, I want to say it was like tens of millions. They're not going to get that money. But this show is so impactful for Netflix that this was like its first original series that made people be like, you know, what? maybe I will check out the Netflix streaming service. Yep. It's a big deal. So much so that the, the Dun Dun that Netflix used is from this show. It is from his character specifically. Like that's how impactful it was on Netflix. I was going to say this show was the first one that I can recall being like the first like bingeable show where like yep. they drop 10 episodes all at once and like you watch all 10 episodes in like a span of, you know, 24 hours like that to me in itself is because that's like every show now is is that way. So that that revolution, mm-hmm. that was revolutionary in its own way. And that was only 10 years ago. So it's crazy. He's great in it. He is. Okay. It's awesome. So Smooth talking Democrat from the South. And he is, you know, do whatever it takes to win and I will double cross everyone. And there's twists and turns and intrigue. And I think the most fascinating part of it is his relationship with his wife, who's played by Robin Wright, in which they're both like slime balls, but they're doing it together and there's love for each other. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. hey, if you want to go sleep with someone to get power over them, I'm cool with that as long as it benefits our relationship. Yep. And once you get introduced to that, you're like, oh, these are people who will like fuck over anybody because they just want to be in power. And that's what made it fascinating. I completely agree that the show lost steam after he became president, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, because he's like already there. It's like, Mm -hmm. all right, now I can do whatever he wants. Like, oh, so what's he going to do? And it's like, Mm -hmm. here's my political ideas. And you're like, well, it's it's less interesting when you're already there. Yeah. I also wonder if this show, because of what you mentioned, is why Netflix cuts bait on so many shows so early in their runs now. Like, there's not, I don't know if there's another Netflix show that's gone as long as this one. Interesting. How many seasons? Stranger Things is going on five. Six, I think. This was six, yeah. It ended ended after six. I, want, I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Because it does lose steam a little bit. I, I rewatched the first season and parts of, and I'm like, a couple episodes into the second season. I'll probably just keep watching. It's so good. It's good. One of the rare shows where everybody operating at their highest abilities yeah anyone that shows up performing at their best it's rare to see a show do that usually like somebody comes in and you're just like i had off day huh not with this everybody's on 10 it makes it makes it so compelling because also the people that show up in this show are really incredible oh yeah dude mahershal is great nev campbell's great kate mara kate mara is in this show for a whole season just killing it yeah I watched the first two seasons, and after that, it lost like a yep. theme with it. I didn't really keep up with, it. but what I watched, I really enjoyed. But I can't really speak to any season after that. Well, that's that's kind of when I stopped watching it too. So I'm with you. You watched more than I did, Laura. I watched a half of a one episode, and I was like, "This is too stressful. This isn't for me. I'm gonna move <laughs> on." <laughs> the show cold opens with him strangling a dog to death. Yep. The show lets you know very upfront, be like, you think this is going to be easy to watch this show? No, we're going to kill a dog five minutes into this show. A few other performances and roles before our, our next review. 2014, he's in the sequel to Horrible Bosses, Horrible Bosses 2, alongside Christoph Waltz. 
who is now the new horrible boss of the group, and he is the consultant for the boys from prison to how to deal with a new terrible boss. This plan. It feels like a Fast and Furious movie where now all the villains become part of their team. Isn't that cute? Right, Aubrey? Love it. <laughs> I never saw number two. Was it any good or what? I like two. It's not as good as the first one. I mean, it's hard to capture that energy. But Christoph Waltz is a big old piece of shit as the, the new bad boss. So he nails that. Chris Pine is electric in that film. Yeah, Chris Pine is awesome in Horrible Bosses too. The whole concept, James, is Chris Pine is the son of, of Christoph Waltz, and he works with them to basically stage a kidnapping so they can extort him for a bunch of money. And Chris Pine is a certified crazy person. So it does sound like I would enjoy it, because I do like both the actors you named, yeah. You will walk away going like, holy fuck, Chris Pine is an incredible comedic physical actor. Because he's spot on that whole film. 2014, he voices a character in Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, video game side. I always like to point that out if we run into somebody. That does some video game work. So I remember this, like, I didn't play Call of Duty a ton, but I remember this being like a thing. Like, mm-hmm. This, like, crossed over. Not my favorite Call of Duty game from that era, but his, his voice stood out very, very quickly. But that's going to take us to largest critic app. Case has it, and it's Elvis and Nixon from 2016, a movie less than 90 minutes, which I loved. That was extremely pleased when I got this assignment because I have seen this movie, I would say somewhere between five to 10 times and now closer to 10 because I've watched it twice getting ready for this episode. So I was having a hard time coming up with a suitable summary and review. So I turned to uh, Google's AI engine, Bard, and uh, I asked Bard to write a 300-word summary of the movie Elvis and Nixon. And here we go. <laughs> Elvis and Nixon is a 2016 comedy drama about the real-life meeting between Elvis Presley and Richard Nixon in 1970. The film stars Michael Shannon as Elvis and Kevin Spacey as Nixon, and it explores the two men's shared concerns about drug culture and the counterculture. The film begins with Elvis becoming increasingly paranoid about his personal safety. He believes that he's being followed by the FBI and that his life is in danger. He decides to travel to the White House to meet with Nixon and ask for his help. Presley arrives at the White House and is met by Bud Crow, a presidential aide. Crow is initially skeptical of Presley's request, but he eventually agrees to arrange a meeting with Nixon. The meeting between Presley and Nixon is a strange and surreal affair. Presley is dressed in a white jumpsuit and glasses, and he speaks in a rambling, incoherent manner. Nixon, on the other hand, is cool and collected. Presley tells Nixon that he's concerned about the drug problem in America. He believes that he can help to combat the problem by becoming an honorary drug enforcement agent. Nixon is initially hesitant, but eventually agrees to Presley's request. The meeting between Presley and Nixon ends with Nixon giving Presley a badge and a commission as an honorary drug enforcement agent. The two men shake hands and part ways. The film, Elvis and Nixon, is a fictionalized account of the real-life meeting between Presley and Nixon. However, the film does capture the essence of the meeting, which is both strange and surreal. The film also provides a glimpse into the minds of two of the most famous men in America at the time. The film has been praised for its performances, particularly those of Michael Shannon and Kevin Spacey. Shannon's performance as Presley is particularly noteworthy. He captures Presley's charisma, paranoia, and his eccentricity. Spacey's performance as Nixon is also well done. He captures Nixon's coolness, his intelligence, and his ruthlessness. 
film Elvis and Nixon is a complex and multi-layered film that offers a unique perspective on two of the most fascinating figures of the 20th century. It is a film that will stay with you long after you have seen it. The end. Is that really from AI? It is from AI. <laughs> that was impressive. Wow. That's better than I thought it would be. <laughs> pretty spot on, honestly. It's pretty spot on. They both needed a friend. Here's my real review. Uh, I, I super enjoy this movie, mostly because I, I'm a fan of Elvis Presley's life. Not necessarily his music. The music's fine, right? But the, the wild shit that he did in his life is legendary. And a film like this that captures that, I love. Here's some crazy stuff that a lot of people probably don't know about Elvis. He was a black belt in karate. He owned his own karate studio, the Tennessee Karate Institute. He did acquire a police light along with several badges, and he was known to pull people over and lecture them at the dangers of reckless driving only to send them off with an autograph. Aside from wanting to be in law enforcement, Elvis really wanted to be an actor, and he was in 33 films over a 13-year period. And getting back on topic, Graceland is the second most visited home in the United States, only behind the White House. And the picture of Elvis and Nixon that this movie is based on is the most requested item of the White House archives. There's a really, really good National Archives discussion panel with Jerry Schilling and uh, Bud Crow. And they go through like this incident. And this movie is actually a little bit more on par and like of what actually happened than most people realize. Like there's only two major story plots that didn't occur. In real life, Elvis actually went to the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs to become a federal agent at large before he went to go get Jerry Schilling. And since that director, who in this movie is played by Tracy Letts, which is great, a federal agent at large isn't a real badge. I can't give you that badge. So then Elvis, in his head, was like, well, then the next step is talking to Nixon. I have three reflections case from this movie. Number one, on the Spacey side, I think he he does a solid job capturing the cadence of Nixon's iconic voice. Not know Elvis Presley was so fucking obsessed with guns. Holy shit, that guy was loaded and packing everywhere he went. Hilarious scenes in there involving firearms. Yep. And then my third one was the scene where they're uh, comparing square footage. <laughs> How old it? It feels like a little bit like Graceland. Oh, how much square feet? Ten thousand. Well, the White House like fifty-five thousand. Ah, oh, well, maybe it's a little bit bigger than ten thousand. Yeah, I did some add-ons. The thing I appreciated about Spacey in this is he didn't play kind of the character that a lot of people like to portray Nixon with. On that same trip, Presley showed up and he had his guns on him, and so they weren't going to let him on the plane. So he started leaving, and the pilots actually went out and like, no, 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 Elvis, you're good. Come on. <laughs> One of the uh, things that Bud Crow talked about, and Bud Crow is played brilliantly by Colin Hanks, by the way. He talked about the thing that struck him with this meeting is that it, when these two met, it was two people that were the only ones that could relate to each other, and they were both kind of on the way down. He thought it was very fascinating that Elvis might have been one of the few people on the planet could, that could relate to Nixon and vice versa. Case, here's a million dollar question before we move on. 7657 Critic Gap, where do you lie? Yeah, this, this movie's a 90 for me. Yeah, it sounded like he was very firmly on the positive side. Critic side. <laughs> you wouldn't watch it seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times if you didn't love it, or twice 
for one episode. I might watch it again tonight when we're done, just for the nostalgia effect. It's only a crisp hour 26, so it's an easy, easy, quick watch, which you like. The kids love to see that. A couple films here before our last review. We've got Baby Driver. He played Doc 2017. I don't know. I feel like this is one of those movies that the, the zeitgeist has criticized since they came out. Aubrey, tell me if I'm wrong on that one. Oh, really? I think maybe because he and Ansel Elgort are in it. That's what it is. And maybe that's more of the reason. It's the Ansel Elgort of it all. Isn't this movie like hallmarked by a cool soundtrack and kick-ass driving? It's not incredibly deep. Does that ever not hold up? The Ansel Elgort thing hurts it more than the Edgar Wright thing helps it. Because like on the internet, internet loves yep. Edgar Wright. Okay. So like it should age well. It's a great movie. Yeah. Opening. I mean, if you want just a taste of it, just watch the opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the opening sequence is fantastic. That's what trips it all up, which, like, the Anzo Elgort thing is, like, the odd and cloudy. It just clouds it. And then the Kevin Spacey thing was the death nail. I just think most people don't talk about it, which is a shame because the movie's great. Another Jamie Foxx collab, too. He's very good in this. John Hamm. He's very good in that one. He sequences the music perfectly with the set pieces. Yeah. It's just one of those where, like, it's just kind of faded away because people don't want to talk about it. Okay. And two of the most gorgeous humans in the planet are in it, and Isaac Gonzalez and Lily James, which... Oh, I thought you were going to say John Hamm. (laughs) (laughs) No, just him too. Okay. Well, let's get... We're going to get to the spicy part now, where 2017, he played... Supposed to play J. Paul Getty in All the Money in the World, a role that they filmed essentially, what, 10 days before the allegations happened, and then they replaced him with Christopher Plummer, and then Christopher Plummer went on to get nominated for an Oscar for the role. The bottom fell out, fell through with Spacey. Anthony Rapp, who was in... He might have been on the stage version, but I know he was in the film version of Rent. Uh, So if you saw him, you'd be like, oh, I know that guy. He alleged that Kevin Spacey sexually assaulted him when he was 14 years old. So when he was a child, and... That was right at the time when Harvey Weinstein's allegations had come out. And so Hollywood was finally doing some self-reflection. And once that happened, it was essentially a floodgate of allegations came against Kevin Spacey. And they actually totaled up to about 12. Mm -hmm. I know the Anthony Rapp court case, it was the first one, and I think it's recently concluded with the charges being dropped for insufficient evidence, which is difficult because these are now men that are in their later years and going back to when one of them was 14 is probably going to be difficult to find sufficient evidence. But doing so, Anthony Rapp putting himself out there like that, it allowed for other victims of Spacey to come out and tell their story as well. Usually just takes one brave person to come out and the rest then feel yeah. emboldened to do so. I'm, Dude, and, and all the money in the world thing, that had never happened really before. They went back and they, they refilmed every scene that he was in. It was like a month and a half. And then they filmed the, I know they filmed the plumber stuff in like eight days. And then crazy. They literally had like a month and a half to reshoot an entire movie, which is crazy. Because I think I think all the money in the world came out like Christmas time, twenty seventeen, and the spacey stuff was like late October. I want to say reshoots on steroids. Since that precedent, which was was it Ridley Scott who did that? Who? Yeah. Yep. Since that, like that has happened again with other actors since then, where it's a movie is completed, yeah, or damn near completed, and allegations come out, and the director's like, 
I'm not dealing with this shit. And they just refilm the scenes with that actor specifically that had never happened before. And since then it's happened a few times. I know it happened with, they replaced, I forget the guy, but they replaced it with Tignataro. Who's a woman. Oh, uh, oh, uh, there you go. Yeah. And they just replaced all of his scenes. All right. Well, his, well, his last film he put out before the allegations came out was billionaire boys club. It's our lowest critic score. Shocker given the timing, and Rigby has it. Yeah, so The Billionaire Boys Club is a 2018 film starring Kevin Spacey uh, at the aforementioned Ansel Elgort, Taron Edgerton. It's about a fraudulent uh, business, I guess you could call it a Ponzi scheme, that was cracked up by these wealthy, privileged dudes in the 1980s in Los Angeles. And Kevin Spacey, where he comes in, he plays a fraudster who gets involved with this business his name is ron levin and he basically is a con man who cons other con men if you know anything about our conversation tonight kevin spacey fits this role perfectly Uh, yep (laughs) he is so manipulative and conniving in this and you you definitely buy him as a con man who on the surface looks acts feels rich but deep down inside you know he's just like a scumbag who obviously cheated his way to Cheated his way to where he is. I will say Billionaire Boys Club, I love this story. Uh, there's a really good podcast about it. I recommend you check that out. The, this movie is not good, though. No. Where I think the movie sort of falls flat is that I get that these guys are like scumbags, but they have like zero redeeming qualities. Like at least at least have a reason to like want to be interested in these characters. That and I, the pace of the movie is weird. It's it's like I, I don't really know if Ansel Elgort and Taron Edgerton were the right cast for this. If you're looking for actual sleazeballs, you know, they nailed it. Correct. Casting was spot on. I don't know. I didn't really buy them as like hedge fund sort of fraudsters. I bought them as kind of these pretty boy, good looking actors instead. I, and I'd, I've actually seen this more than once, believe it or not, because I like movies about finance and Wall Street and stuff like that. And frauds, I like I, I like stories like that. I like to listen to podcasts, read books about that. So I, I did watch this. Um, and I, I watched it when it came out just for the spacey aspect, just knowing that this was his first role post-allegations, I guess. But yeah, don't find it very enjoyable. I did find Spacey to be the best character in the movie just because he nails the scumbag once again. But overall, the movie is not that enjoyable. You nailed it, Rigby. Uh, the... Critics gave it a 7%. Do you think that's pretty accurate? I would give it a little higher than that. I'm like a 30. Nothing to write home about. No no, no higher than 25% for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I watched this to see if this was one of those things where like critics panned it because there was controversy or if it was actually that bad. Uh, and it was it's pretty bad. Yeah. The, o- the only pushback I have... Is Bokeem Woodbine is the best character? So. <laughs> oh, okay. He's a Bokeem guy. That, you're I'm just used to that. The interesting thing about Spacey's character is that so he in 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 this story he gets murdered and that's what the, that's wh- sort of where this billionaire boys club sort of goes to hell and these guys get charged for his murder. To this day, there is still a thought that this guy is such a good con man that he could have faked his own death and he is he might still be alive today <laughs> the real ron levin which is who kevin spacey plays was i guess such a pr- 
prominent sleazeball that like people actually think he still might be alive today and just faked his own death. So that's hilarious. I, th- I thought that was I thought that was fascinating. Latopia is that would be fun. That'd be a fun little nugget. Okay. After the allegations in 2017, Billionaire Boys Club releases, and then he doesn't do anything for a couple of years, shockingly, uh, because nobody wants to hire somebody who's in the middle of all these allegations. He did uh, a few things. None of them were of the professional acting where you'd be paid for it. But twice he put out a YouTube video in which he stayed in character as Frank Underwood from House of Cards. Yes. And loosely denied sexually assaulting people they were so fucking eerie so creepy weird if it sounds bizarre it's because it is bizarre they were like christmas time didn't he release him like christmas time or like the end of the year or something it was so odd to see someone be in character talking about something that really happened and or is really alleged to happen but it's so severe and he used this time also to be like well i'm gonna come out uh as a gay man and you know i wanted to address that and everyone's like that's not what we're talking about here buddy like that is not <laughs> what this whole thing is about it has more to do with the you know rape and pedophilia that's the issue i think we're trying to address here and then to do that while in character it was just so fucking odd um and so not only was it you know he was being dropped by everyone who was working with him he was also handling it as poorly as humanly possible. And so it was like, yeah. it was just awkward to even see. I think he does have a few movies that are coming out, but these he'd been handling court cases since that moment. And they're still going on today. Yes, they are. Quite timely. Yeah, the only film that's really come out since then is The Man Who Drew God. He played a detective in that in 2022, but that's it. All right, Rigby, we've reached the end. Tell us about some top performances. What'd you dig up? It's going to be tough. I found a list from supportkevinspacey.com. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, um, God. <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, there is actually a website with that name with a ranking of his performances. So go check that out if you're interested. Come on. Uh, our list is from the World of Real. So this is a new source. It's actually the latest list I found. It's from 2019. Obviously, because he hasn't had much work the last five years, it's still timely. Ten performances, and it includes television and film. Mm, so House of Cards is on there. Absolutely. It's got to be towards the top. Mm-hmm. That's number three. Moon? Moon, no. Damn it. 21. 21, no. American Beauty. That is number one, James. That's what I'm here. Number uno. Superman. Superman is not on here. Seven's going to be number two, John Doe. No. That's actually number six. <laughs> Usual Suspects will be number two. There you go. Usual Suspects, number two. You're right, you're right. Seven is number six. This is true. Give me Life of David Gale. Nope. Apex? Nope. LA Confidential? There you go. Uh, number five? Yep. Okay. A Time Tale? Nope. Bugs Life? <laughs> nope. Men Who Stare at Goats? Nope. Outbreak? Outbreak? Nope. <laughs> Damn! Horrible Bosses? No. Nope. Oh. How many bangers does this guy have? How many movies are left? Like five. We talked earlier about where did his inspiration for Horrible Bosses come from? That's on here. Oh, uh, Swimming with Sharks. There you go. Number four. Do I have a lead? Is Glengarry Glenn Ross in there? Yes. Number 10. (laughs) Fuck off. So hard. Did we talk about all the movies? 
think we briefly mentioned all, at least all of them. Okay. Uh, number nine is a really good movie, which we didn't really talk that much about. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? Nope. That is a good movie, though. Recount? Is that on there? Nope. Negotiator. Oh, yeah. Negotiator. Nice. Number nine. Um, we, I don't think we did talk about Negotiator. We didn't. <laughs> we didn't mention it. That's a good movie. So number eight and number seven, we talked about them, both of them. One of them is James's, a James favorite. Like a sarcastic favorite or actual favorite? No, you, you, you speak very highly of this movie. Oh, The Ref. Yep. Give me Baby Driver for the last time. Nope. All right, just tell us. Margin Call. Oh. Ah, Should have known that, too. Oh, nice. Sam Rogers. So our top three, I'll repeat it again. House of Cards, Usual Suspects, American Beauty. Yeah, that's me. The safest top three you're going to get. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I would throw in seven and Horrible Bosses would be my top five. This would be my five. I would agree with Kyle's list as well. I'm, I'm looking at his like movies that he's produced and it bothers me how many good movies that he's produced yeah. as well. Captain Phillips is on there. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. Social Network, a movie that I think is hilarious that no one else does called The Sasquatch Gang. He's done a lot of producing. He has like 40 some credits, right? I guess 40 producing credits. So he's put a lot of his money into back into projects. All right, well, let's get into the Munson meter. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors that could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their range, awards, footprint, other talents, personal life, comedic chops, box office success, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. And this is what you've been waiting for to see how the hell we rate this guy with such high profile indiscretions and along with a really good filmography. So we're going to throw it to Case to get us started this time. Yeah, I'm going to pass. <laughs> wow. I'm proud of you. That's a man of principle. He said three weeks ago he wasn't going to rate him. Yep. So. Over to you, Kyle. I respect that. That's a Munson's first. The first time we've had somebody out of just not rate somebody. My score. I will say <laughs> I gave him one point for personal life for benefit of the doubt, but it's not much there. <laughs> The rest, he loses a lot of points. I have a question for you. You do probably the most numbers-driven ratings where you have the different scores for different sections. What is the max amount of scores you can get for the personal life in the Kyle scoring system? 10 points. 10 points for your personal life. Got it. To max that out, you got to be unscathed and do a lot of philanthropic work. Okay, so that's not a lot of points to negate as well on the other side. (laughs) That's tough. I have an intangibles category too that okay. you can lose there too. That's another area where I can I can not give you the five there. So, but you're right; it's not heavily weighted for the other end. But uh, I think that's what allows it to be somewhat consistent. Um, I will say his pop culture impact is huge. Everybody knows who Kevin Spacey is, partially because he's a great actor, and also partially because he's a scumbag, allegedly. And I think he can do baddie and comedic really well. I mean, when you look at the list of bad guys he's played i mean it's it doesn't get any better of anybody we've covered seven usual suspects horrible bosses swimming with sharks bugs life see no evil hear no evil and plenty of others um i don't know how i feel about his his range i think he can do a lot but he kind of stays in his bag most of the time and i'm going to give him credit for his theater work and producing and his directing is so so uh but too many people have accused him of an inappropriate behavior with young men to uh, give him too high of a score. Without that, I think he's somebody that's probably around a 90. But with that allegation, I'm going to 
land him at a 74. I feel like that's pretty fair. I respect you going first. It's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. It is. I agree. Aubrey. I've thought about this so much. I have no idea what I'm going to do. So I'm going to see if I can talk myself into this. When I try to do this, I try and keep it to on-screen stuff as much as possible. I'm just really interested in actors' careers, their work, and their ability what's what's the talent what is your talent what'd you show me what did i see and i i try to rate that with him it's impossible to do that if i did if i could just ignore all that kind of stuff and just completely wholly separate art from artists and look at his work i think he's i would have him somewhere in the 80s he's a great actor he shows like time and time again he has he has the ability to do really iconic things have iconic characters and things attached to what he does which is a is a rare trait like i don't know if it's a skill but it's something that is certainly identifiable in his work i don't know if range is a thing which is surprising going into this i would have said that he is like a top tier actor and has all the tools can do all the things but i didn't see a ton of range he is a lot funnier than i think he gets credit for um just straight comedy but even playing comedy in a dramatic situation I think he's a great actor. I'd have him somewhere in the 80s probably. It's I can't separate this stuff. Like I try to be mm-hmm. as patient with allegations as possible. You know, to see, I want to see how everything plays out. I don't want to jump out the window and be like this person like I just don't want to jump out of any windows. But reading about him, I, he it sounds like he did that shit. So like I can't like <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't be like, oh, let's see what happens. So I don't want to rate him higher than anybody that I've rated. Oh shit. So I'm gonna say 40. Cause I know for a fact that's lower than anybody else I've ever that I've rated. You'd have to be pretty bad for me to go lower than that. So he's now the bar for low. <laughs> okay. Laura. I guess Munson. Aubrey, I really like what you were saying about, you know, separating the art, you know, the artist from the art and everything. That is really what I went into this thinking, like, could you do it? Could I do it? And I cannot do that. As talented of an actor as he is and what he's done, just knowing the allegations that are out there, you know, everything that has happened, I just feel like thinking about the toxicity on the film sets and what has gone on in the past and everything you know, the wake of trauma that is behind him. Yes, he has these incredible films, these incredible roles, and he can act. He he is a funny comedic actor, but when it when I think about my personal score for him, I was always I was aiming for like a fifty-two. And I think I felt more, you know, more comfortable leading into that with a, with a 52 i feel like that for me that is where he lands james again i agree the art and the artist separation is impossible here uh so i will start by first discussing the art and then get into the bigger picture i think he's one of the best actors that we've covered i wanted to do this by deciding what score i would give him simply based on acting i think he was well deserved for his oscar wins I put a lot of weight, maybe too much weight, into Oscar wins. I think he is a tremendous, traumatic actor. I do agree, you know what, maybe he doesn't play the good guy that often, uh, but he does play a very good, downtrodden good man. I think you see that in American Beauty, 
where it's more of a gray area and it's a man who is reflecting on life's hardships. I think he plays an amazing bad guy. I think he's fantastic. I think Seven is unbelievable. I think he's funny as well. Horrible Bosses killed me. The ref killed me. If he was just a private person off screen, which a lot of actors we've covered are, um, and not necessarily a great person, which we have seen on off screen, I think I would have given him a 90. I think he'd be tied for the second highest score I would have given. But now taking into account who he is as a person, I will say on a personal note, for about six years, I oversaw and handled sexual assault allegations and investigations for uh, the organization I worked for. And I could tell you the most recent data when it comes to allegations says that only about between 2 and 10% of all sexual assault allegations are false. At, they average out at about 5% total end up being mm-hmm. false. Wow. So I say that to say this, if you're a gambling man and some, <laughs> someone you know has been accused by 30 people and then has had, of those 30 people, 12 counts of sexual assault actually be charged against them and gone to court, you'd bet the farm on that person being guilty. That is how many people have accused Kevin Spacey of sexual assault. That is how many court cases have been placed against him. So it's 30 accusations, 12 have actually gone to, are going to trial and have been charged. I found the number. He's actually being sued by the production company that Netflix hired for House of Cards for $31 million. And he tried to get it thrown out and the judge said, absolutely not. So there is a chance he does have to pay that still. And so I decided to do for every person that he's been accused of sexually assaulting, and then for the additional million dollars, I wanted to take away a point. And so I'm going to give him a 59. A very calculated score. Yeah. Yes. I like that. That was well done. That was. Rigby, round us out. Yeah. So you guys hit hit it on all. Obviously, he's an incredible actor. Um LA Confidential is a top five favorite movie for me. Love Margin Call. You know, James, I agree with you that if it hadn't been for his his uh, personal life, he would be probably number two for the for the actors I rated as well. Probably behind Leo and right in front of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the allegations are just too much to ignore, especially this in this day and age, which... James, you hit it right on the head. If there's that many allegations against you, uh, the evidence is most likely uh, most likely true. So he's going to lose a lot of points for me on that. I, I would say without the allegations, he would get a 95, but I'm going to give him a 70. So that gives Kevin Spacey a 59 on the dot, which puts him in 79th place between Chris Tucker and Jim Belushi. Oh, man, what a list. Well, of those three... I think that's probably fair. It's the people below him I feel bad for. So it's, (laughs) you know, Natasha Lyonne, it seems like a very nice person. And I don't think she deserves to be below him, but it's how it worked out. Aubrey, what does he have coming? It looks like he might be having a little bit of a career resurgence of some kind, which is uh, fascinating. Based off of what it seems like, he's got some more court and possibly jail coming. Um, <laughs> so you're saying these three films that are all completed may not see the light of day that's what you're saying i, I think they might we're gonna re- reshoot them all there's not really anybody in them so like i was surprised to see he had three movies coming to be honest and then that they're completed is even more mm-hmm. surprising 
a one of them, Control, which like Loki sounds like the most interesting. He plays voice, the voice, which is just like a British home security uh, secretary. I mean, Stella Simmons drives home one night while engaging in an affair with what with the prime minister, a mysterious man remotely hijacks her self-driving car, forcing her on a rampage through London. I would watch that. Generally, I don't think it would be any good, but it would be fun. So he's the voice. I don't think he has a ton in that. Peter 5-8. I don't know what this is. This comes out in August. There's nobody really in it. I think that's kind of the theme of what this is. He's not... I wouldn't call it a resurgence what's happening. I think he's just got movies coming out. A lot of movies get made. The last movie, Gore, has Michael Stuhlbarg in it, which that was surprising to see. I agree. I think that's been done for a while. Hasn't it been, Aubrey? Probably. I didn't look too much into it. I'm going to be honest, because he's playing the role of Gore Vidal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's hard for me to really care. Uh, That movie may never see the light of day, though. Michael Stuhlbarg's people got anything to say about it. That's the interesting part for me is who will, which actors will work with this guy and be in the same productions with him going forward, right? Like that's a testament of someone's character ultimately. Yeah. I think that says a lot about these allegations in particular is that like, it's been quite a while. You would have seen something or heard something like somebody was mm-hmm. low key trying to sneak him on set and do da 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 Cause he's talented enough that Hollywood would take a chance and it's not happening. Yep. Like these movies, I would have never known about any of these had not been me doing this. So I would say if you really want to know what he's got coming, see how these see how these cases play out. Real quick, we'll go through our next pod. So our next pod's gonna hit August 3rd. We have Mike Mike Rodemaker coming back. He was with us for Tony Collette, Jim Carrey, PSH, and Mahershala. So some biggie, big names there and we've got five actors we threw onto the wheel the wheel selected one of them and mike picked that person uh did the wheel select bill nye helen bonham carter seymour castle will arnett or greg kinnear oh that's a great list i really hope it's helena bonham carter yeah she'd be fun greg kinnear would be fun too yeah james to your point earlier about the amount of shows we've done i actually thought we've covered greg kinnear already so this is news to me <laughs> I would be cool with anyone with the exception of Seymour Castle. I'm pretty confident I've never heard that name before. You'd know who he is. I just love that every time there's one person I feel like is just made up and Kyle just put on there. Yeah. That's why I, I love to look through the list like, oh, I know those names. Like, I have no idea who that person is. We're, we're inclusive around here, you know? <laughs> Seymour Castle's dead, but he, uh, he was in a lot, of, a lot of stuff that you'd know, James. A lot of Wes Anderson movies. He was born in Detroit, Kyle. Oh, he's a Detroit boy? Oh, well, you got my pick now. Yeah. Well, rest in peace to the legendary Seymour Cassell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this now, retro, like retrospectively, this is a great list now. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. He's a great dude. If we want to watch great movies, Bill Nye is probably the best yeah. choice of this. If we want to laugh, Will Arnett is the best choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Helena Bonham Carter might be great films too. So I really, I hope it's Helena Bonham Carter. She was great in uh, The Crown yes. on Netflix. She's, she plays the Queen's sister. She's great in that as well. She's awesome in King's Speech too. King's Speech. Yeah. She's perfect for Tim Burton films with just the way she looks. 
I love David Fincher. Oh. Fight Club is the most overrated movie of all time. Yep, I said it. Sorry. <clears throat> that hurts. But as a fan of Fight Club, I've realized that the worst part about Fight Club is the other fans of Fight Club. <laughs> I'm like, no, dude, the movie's good. And then everyone who agrees with me is like the biggest loser. I'm the like, biggest mm-hmm. loser. All right, so here are the two questions. Laura, who would you pick if you had to choose? I would pick Helen Bonham Carter. Yes. And who do we think Mike Rodemaker picked? Will Arnett. Knowing his tr- track record. Will Arnett. Yeah, Will Arnett. Kinnear. James, get a bet. I am going to guess Will Arnett as well. One thing I will say is I accurately guessed who my sister was going to pick the first time she was on. Uh, True. And I didn't get to accurate. I didn't get to guess last time because, uh, the baby started freaking out near the end of the podcast, and I would have absolutely guessed wrong. I would, I thought you were going to choose uh, John Cusack. That's oh. When I saw Kevin Spacey, I was like, "We finally have to address the elephant in the room." I like it. Yeah, yeah. My response to Laura after she picked it, I go, "Oh, you chose violence today." Okay. Yes. <laughs> it was ballsy. I like it, Laura. Uh-huh. Yeah. Luckily, you know, Laura doesn't decide, Mike doesn't decide, we don't decide, the wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, of course. I've lost a lot of faith in the wheel after this episode, (laughs) so the wheel has some uh, redemption to do. After Will Atherton, and and then this. You know, we always give our guests a plug, so it's your chance. Wise words for our audience. If you want to talk about any projects you're working on, red carpet, it's for you. Oh, no, thanks, guys. I'm just really, I'm glad to be back here. It's always a pleasure to come back on Munson and uh, get to chat movies and all that fun stuff with you guys. But uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to coming back again. Awesome. Thanks for coming. It was great. Awesome. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you. You can catch us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at The Movies. You can email us, Munson's at The Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Kevin Spacey? And your crusade to take me down. Is it for justice? For the good of the nation, is the truth what you're really after? Or is it for some personal gain? Perhaps to try to fill the small hole in your soul? Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Bradley Coper. Bradley Cooper, Cooper yeah. co-wrote, produced, directed, and starred in A Star is Born. Haven't seen it. Are you hoping that will open doors for other hot idiots? <laughs> <laughs> Such a good question.